Welcome everyone. This is Bitcoin Tech Talk issue number 249. Eric Voorhees, ThorChain and Pride. As always, you can subscribe to my newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com. Uh, the newsletter it comes into your mailbox every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central Time. Anyway, um, Eric Voorhees, ThorChain and Pride. Bitcoin Tech Talk number 249. Another week, another altcoin suffers from a security vulnerability and loses a ton of money. Now, this one is pointing to ThorChain and how they lost something like $7 million because of a security vulnerability within their protocol. Uh, ThorChain is supposed to be something like an exchange. Now, I put articles like this in the quick hit section because there are so many of them and I've commented on their stupidity way too many times to count. I'm honestly sick of seeing how much of a scam these things are, whether through malice or incompetence. I'm making an exception to this one, though, because it's by Eric Voorhees, a complex character whom I view as a tragic anti-hero in the story of Bitcoin. Voorhees, before being the altcoin promoter that he's become, started as something of a Bitcoin maximalist. You can see this in a post from seven years ago that he wrote on Reddit. To wit, all coins are the penny stocks of the Bitcoin world, and perhaps their greatest virtue is that they distract the most superficial speculators away from Bitcoin itself. Should they exist? Yes. I'm glad people experiment in every way with this technology, but don't let speculative experiments at the margin distract from the most mind-blowingly awesome monetary system mankind has ever seen, Bitcoin proper. Such was his attitude until 2015 when he had a good idea for a business, a way to exchange different altcoins without taking custody. Shapeshift. I have to admit, the idea was good. Unfortunately, the company he founded has been bad for Eric as he has become an altcoin apologist since then. As Upton Sinclair has said, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. This is even true when said man clearly understood something before the current job. His actions since then have been downhill and honestly terrible for Bitcoin. He supported the 2x agreement in 2017 and tried to strong arm the entire community into accepting it. He claimed to represent the users because he was CEO of a business when users clearly felt differently. Though I admired his desire to keep his word to the people he made promises to, he made promises that he had no business making. He wasn't the Bitcoin community and he knew it, but acted as if he was anyway. Unlike Wences Cesares and Bobby Lee, who have since apologized for their role in 2X, Eric continues to not apologize for his actions and act as a spurn lover, criticizing Bitcoin and particularly the community that rejected his antics at every turn since then. Which brings us to Thorchain, a baby of his that he wrote about in April of this year. In it, he claimed that incompetence was a large part of these early failures. The early failures here refer to exchanges like Mt. Gox, which went bankrupt in 2014. Of course, looking at the millions lost in the Thorchain security incident makes him look dumb, but he should have known better. The Thorchain incident wasn't even the first hack of an exchange he was in charge of. He had another well-publicized one in 2016. In other words, Eric Voorhees is a prideful man. 
He refuses to see that the stuff he's been working on really only encourages speculation and doesn't do anything for civilization. To be fair, this requires a fair bit of self-reflection, which unfortunately Eric either seems not to do or to do very poorly. Witness his response to the criticism of Thorchain and particularly how centralized it is. There is a tendency among some to portray Bitcoin's creation as a miraculous conception appearing fully formed and decentralized. The reality of decentralized projects is that they always begin centralized as a thought in the mind of one. He's bringing up a completely irrelevant incident from 2010 as his defense. He won't take responsibility for the security incident. He won't admit that he screwed up. The man does not seem to know how to admit he was wrong about anything, and, that the, and that's the tragedy of his character. The sad thing is I really like Eric. I've known him since 2014 and have met him many times. He cares deeply about liberty and really believes he's bringing a more free society about. He's also sent his engineers to take my course, and I've even sent him some of my books. Yet bad money corrupts good character. Bad money in this case are all the altcoins he's been promoting. His vicious hatred of Bitcoin, particularly the Bitcoin community, is clear evidence of that. I wrote this article uh, because he was, uh, you know, criticizing Bitcoin, uh, like as a way to like deflect from all of the failures that, uh, you know, happened on ThorChain. And he was hyping this thing up like crazy. I couldn't find the tweet that someone had referenced that I saw where he had said something like, you know, uh, we've done a full security audit uh, or ThorChain is secure or something like that. I, I couldn't find that tweet. So unfortunately, I couldn't include it in the article. But that really kind of pissed me off because, um, you know, it, it's very clear to me that he thinks he's on a moral high ground and he's allowed to say things that he really has no right saying. Um, and th this is his pattern is that, um, you know, he, he thinks he's more important than he is. Uh, and th this was the flaw with Roger Ver and many others in, uh, in the early days of Bitcoin. And they've all left since then. And he's uh, he's one of those people. Um, let this be a lesson to you. Like you have to stay humble when you're in Bitcoin. Like it's it it's not about you. It never has been about you. And you are ultimately not that important. And this is something that I have to remind myself of all the time because, you know, Bitcoin will go on whether you like it or not, whether you work for it or not. Um, and, you know, I mean, Eric did some pretty interesting things. Uh, he brought about like Satoshi Dice, which, you know, could be argued, gave some popularity to the network and all that. Um, but, you know, ultimately what he ended up doing was, you know, all coin promotion. Uh, that's what he is right now. He's an all coin salesman. And it's very sad because I actually think he's aligned with a lot of Bitcoiners on a lot of things. It's just that. You know, it's like that Upton Sinclair vote. You can't get him to understand something that he understood before because it would, you know, like nullify his job, essentially. He, he can't admit to that. Um, he also can't admit to, you know, doing stuff with uh, 2X because that's uh, that's not something that he, um, uh, you know, he, he wants to go back on. And, you know, he, he feels like he made promises to people, promises which he had no business making. 
Um, so yeah, he's a tragic anti-hero, um, much like many others in Bitcoin, and it's kind of sad. All right, Bitcoin. If you're wondering what's next for Taproot, Michael Folkson has a reading list for what the core devs are looking at to prepare. There's going to be a core dev meeting to discuss what the ecosystem will support will look like and how to support developers implementing it going forward. There's a meeting schedule for July 20th, which is available in the reading list for developers who are implementing Taproot features or for anyone curious. The meeting will be streamed live on YouTube. So you can you know, watch the entire meeting. I think it's going to be over Zoom and they're going to discuss uh, you know how how we're going uh, how they're going to support the ecosystem in implementing it because you know activation is only one part and, and actually to get usage you need to teach people how to use it and so on. Matt Bell has an interesting proposal for a proof of stake sidechain. The idea is that merge mine sidechains such as the drive chains proposal BIP three hundred require additional validation by miners and tax every node. Uh, but with something like proof of stake, the responsibility for returning Bitcoin from the sidechain back to the main chain goes to a federation. Apparently, there are mitigations even when two thirds of the federation is malicious. The federation is reminiscent of the liquid sidechain, but a bit more formal and with better defined emergency protocols. Uh, now, it, it's an interesting idea, uh, just sort of making the sidechain pure proof of stake. And I'm not sure how secure that is because obviously, um, you know, with proof of stake, it's whoever has the most money that gets to decide what's going on the chain. But they can't really reset the chain because it's uh, it's based on the amount of Bitcoin that came in. Uh, so there's not as much fudging that can happen. Um, so you know, it, it may be, it, it's an interesting idea and worth exploring. Uh, but I, I remain a little bit skeptical that it can all work. Mini Mint is an experimental Xiaomi and Cash based on Bitcoin. Xiaomi and Cash has strong privacy properties and spends very much like Cash based on public key cryptography. This would be another type of layer two solution where a central entity would be a sort of bank that can redeem the Xiaomi and Cash for Bitcoin at any time. The main advantage is that despite being centralized, the central entity does not know who's spending to whom. I'm not sure if this is a trade-off that the market necessarily wants, which is custody in exchange for privacy, but it's a very interesting project worth keeping an eye on. Uh, so Chami and Cash has been around for a while. David Chum is uh, who it's named after, and I think he started a company, uh, eCash or something like that, and ran it for a few years until, uh, you know, essentially I think it got regulated away. Um, but, you know, if you're building it on top of Bitcoin, it's it's a little bit uh, easier to do. And, you know, having that sort of like asset that's underneath, um, that, that makes it, I think, easier to run something like a bank. And you, you do have this ability uh, to trade Xiaomi and Cash exactly like Cash. Um, I think the only validation that occurs is uh, is by the central entity to make sure that you don't double spend. But they have no idea who you're sending it to or who you're getting it from, something like that. When when they do that, it's just sort of, I'm spending it now and that's it. Um, and at the end of it, when you're redeeming it, they just check the list of uh, signatures and make sure they're valid. They have no idea who those people are or anything. Um, and and that's it. Um, so that that's how Chami and Cash works. Um, again, it's kind of a, a weird trade-off because you're, you're centralizing 
the custody of Bitcoin, uh, but you're getting privacy in return. So it's, um, you know, it may be useful in certain cases and so on. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Sharedbits has released a DLC wallet and Oracle app. DLCs have a straightforward trust model based on, on the Oracle, so this is an excellent step towards building interesting services on Bitcoin. Unlike DeFi, which has all sorts of hidden risks that are undisclosed by all the stakeholders marketing them, DLCs make it clear who you have to trust and are much more transparent in what's actually happening. Of course, the liquidity in this market is non-existent at the moment, and there's going to be slow growth given that there are limitations. But this looks like the kind of project that can matter in the long run. Um, so this is a big difference between quote-unquote DeFi and you know stuff like DLCs, which is trying to do a lot of similar services on Bitcoin. Um, DeFi has all sorts of risk. Um, you know, the smart contract might not be written right. Uh, you know, a, if, if you're staking Bitcoin or something like that, you have to trust some custody service. There's also all of the the entire stack of Ethereum is completely centralized and can be regulated or changed or whatever. There, there, there are all sorts of risks within DeFi. Um, and it's not clear who you have to trust in order to make money on it or whatever. Uh, with something like a DLC, the trust model is extremely clear. You are trusting that the Oracle will tell the truth. And if, especially if it's an exchange that's saying, okay, this is the price of Bitcoin at the time that the contract expires, um, that's fairly trustworthy because they might not even know about your uh, contract. Of course, your counterparty can tell them about it and maybe bribe them or something like that. But everyone would know that they lied because it has to be sort of on chain. So, um, that that sort of thing is uh, is a lot more straightforward and a lot more honest and a lot less risky uh, than what's going on in DeFi. And that's how stuff in Bitcoin gets built uh, is sort of like know who you have to trust there. there this is still centralized because it's centralized around the Oracle. Uh, but, you know, you know who it is centralized around. Um, with uh, like DeFi, it's not at all clear, right? Like there's so many players that are in it um, that may screw you over, um, but you have no idea. And that's kind of like how the current system works. So you can get screwed by like lots of different players uh, based on lots of different rules or regulations. So um, I, I think uh, Sharedbits and many other DLC companies are taking the right approach. All right, Lightning, let's go on to Lightning. A new paper has a nice optimization for reliable and cheap payment flows. Rene Picard is one of the authors of the paper and is well known on the Lightning mailing list. Most software uh, today uses a very basic and simple routing algorithm that doesn't use some of the features available on the network like multi-path payments. This sort of research is necessary to make the Lightning Network run better and an essential part of upgrading the infrastructure. So um, he came up with a paper and, um, you know, I think they did some simulations based on, you know, what, you know, a reasonable um, approximation of what a Lightning Network might look like and uh, found like this, uh, this better algorithm for routing payments and having good payment flows throughout the network. And that, that's part of the infrastructure of the Lightning Network. And uh, yeah, it, it, it looks really good. I, I haven't dug into the paper too much, but this is the sort of research that we want to see uh, in terms of sort of network graph theory and things like that to make the infrastructure better. Jelf, 
Wilzer writes a nice overview of what's going on the Lightning Network and the Layer 3 stuff that's coming. Of particular interest is Impervious AI, which is the infrastructure for Layer 3. Messages, VPNs, and much more can be achieved on that platform, which will essentially make every Lightning node a server as well as a client. The dream of a decentralized internet seems to be building before our very eyes. Uh, so Impervious AI is sort of like a, a, an infrastructure thing on top of Lightning where you can send messages back and forth and uh, do various things. So it, it really does remind me of like the early internet, except with this payment layer, uh, which, which makes uh, uh, things a lot more sort of rational from a market perspective instead of everything is free and no one charges for anything. Um, and and that that gives it uh, like sort of like this Web 3.0 feel where um, you know you it really is decentralized. There aren't wall gardens and so on. And that's I think the vision that a lot of people in Lightning are going towards. And this is where useful apps will really come into play because you can pay for things, and uh, you know people have an incentive to be a server. It's not just about selling ads, which is basically how everyone in the on the internet makes money or subscriptions or something like that instead it's uh you know it's okay you want this data then you pay me for it um if everyone is a server and you can do micropayments this makes all the sense in the world roy scheinfeld of breeze features victoria kayak out of canada who's using lightning for their business the article is good to understand the profile of businesses that start taking bitcoin seriously as the lightning network grows and gets optimized it is people like these that bitcoin will ultimately help so um it was a nice little feature uh you know about victoria kayak and you know how they discovered bitcoin and how they got into lightning and so on uh, but you know the, these. Uh, this is how this is how a lot of these businesses will progress. Um, I suspect that more will come in like earlier in their business cycle. So I suspect like um, as Lightning gets popular, you just sort of refuse. Uh, you know, if it's sufficiently Bitcoinized by then, um, you just sort of refuse to take credit cards or whatever, uh, or even cash or fiat money. It's just hey, we just take Lightning. Um, and that will, I suspect, be really good for your business because you don't have all of the, uh, you know, conversion back and forth with Bitcoin for savings and stuff like that. And uh, businesses like that will inevitably do really well because Bitcoin goes up in price. And, um, you know, if you're keeping your treasuries in Bitcoin, you're probably going to save a lot more money and be able to expand businesses and provide better services and so on. Economics, engineering, etc. I expanded an article I wrote for this newsletter a while back in the triumph of postmodern investing. The article is aimed at a Christian audience, but the essential argument is that number go up is not enough reason to invest in something. Investments need some rational basis in order for civilization to benefit. And currently, we're in a postmodern investing mentality where completely useless stuff like Dogecoin are being pumped. My hope is that Bitcoin brings back rationality to the markets because irrationality is literally decivilizing. Uh, so go read the article if you're interested. But basically, it's uh, uh, the current uh, mental or the the current mentality of the market is that uh, you know they they just invest in whatever goes up, uh, no matter if it's actually building something or not. Even like bankrupt companies like Hertz. Uh, and if they're bankrupt and not really doing anything, then what? What are? Where's your money going? Right? Like it's it's not actually it, you're you're just teaching the market that 
popularity is the only thing that matters and not merit or building things or creating goods and services that the market likes. Um, and that that's pretty scary because if, if you go down that route, then you're literally tearing down civilization. You're not rewarding anybody, a, any companies that are actually building things or, uh, you know, providing goods, goods and services that people want. Uh, instead, it becomes, uh, you know, a, a Keynesian beauty contest, essentially. So, um, yeah, we're thinking about and uh, hopefully you get something out of that article. Jack Dorsey is making DeFi on Bitcoin happen. Uh, note that this article says DeFi, but the actual quote is about decentralized financial services. Actual ones can be on Bitcoin, but on other platforms, they cannot because they're centralized. I respect Jack in that he's one of those guys that puts his money where his mouth is, but I do worry that such organizations can become single points of failure. Um, so uh, there are two two parts to this. So uh, I, I do like that. Jack is putting his uh, money where his mouth is. I I don't know if like these uh, conglomerates um, that do a lot of this research and they become like sort of like the place where this happens. I, I don't know if that's necessarily good because uh, it can become sort of like a central thing and then, you know, governments can regulate it, tax it, whatever. So yeah, I do worry about that aspect of it, but uh, who knows? I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt for now. In case you doubt that inflation hurts the poorest in the world first, check out this story. Um, and the story points to North Koreans, uh, you know, like the prices going up like crazy. Uh, North Koreans are seeing very clearly in the black markets that goods are soaring in price as these black markets are not regulated and prices are free to float. This is probably the best indication of the costs involved and essentially shows that the money printing causes prices to go up. I suspect we'll see a lot more of this creeping upwards from the third world to the first. So, yeah, um, it, the, this story isn't about Bitcoin, but it kind of is because it's about inflation. Uh, and in North Korea right now, in the black markets, goods have gone up tremendously in price, um, you know, in yuan terms and dollar terms. And this this happens as money expands. There's been a tremendous amount of monetary expansion in the last 18 months, and it's coming home to roost in places like North Korea. And they're, they're going to feel it first. Um, I mean, we're feeling it, too, to some degree. But a lot of these people, they can't eat anymore because, you know, prices have doubled or whatever. And we're going to we're going to see a little bit more of that. Um, and, you know, like uh, hyperinflation and like uh, collapse and uh, you know, famine and all these things tend to happen when this sort of thing happens. So I don't know. I, I, I'm not, uh, uh, yeah, the, the next few years, um, are not going to be pretty. The digital euro looks like is in the works. To be fair, this is an investigation into whether a CBDC makes sense and will be studied for the next 12, 24 months which in Bitcoin time is like 10 years, uh, but that's the speed at which governments work. I share Amar Nasir's prediction that there will be a rise and then fall of CBDC. So two articles there, the digital euros in the works and uh, Amar Nasir basically says, well, they're gonna get popular and then they're going to decline. So go read that article if you're interested in why. Tomer Strohlife frames Bitcoin as a test. In my experience, this is very much true. People who think uh, who can think outside the box and reason from pr first principles generally have a favorable a favorable view of Bitcoin, whereas those that are hypnotized and stuck in conventional wisdom do not. It's only pain that seems to get people out of such hypnosis. 
But given how much people have been made to bear in the last uh, in the past 18 months, it's red pilled a whole lot more people. Um, so, yeah, I, th this is kind of my theory on like, uh, you know, the the people that are sort of like rule followers, um, they're not going to view Bitcoin very favorably because the powers that be aren't approving it yet. Um, you know, the, the people that uh, do like Bitcoin tend to be sort of disillusioned with uh, with the current system. Um, and there's just been a lot more disillusionment lately. Chris Wood argues that blockchain games are snake oil and destined to fail. Uh, it's interesting because he, he works for uh, Infinite Fleet, um, which is uh, sort of that game that Samson Mao is making and putting like some of the assets on the liquid network and stuff. But he argues essentially that that's incidental to the game and they're making a really great game. Um, blockchain games, quote unquote, are like, it's more about the token and less about the game and gamers just aren't going to play those because it's not about the game. Some people in the EU want to ban proof of work. Um, good luck with that. I, I, I like I, I suspect this is, um, you know, part of that campaign that's been going on where everyone is giving energy fud against Bitcoin and they're reacting to it. I don't think it'll go anywhere, though. Um, the State Department will pay for tips in crypto. Um, so, yeah, I, it, it's uh, it's a nice way to make sure that you stay anonymous and stuff. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to guess that this is, this is one of those things that's going to be really terrible for criminal organizations because you're gonna hear like if, if you're offered you know five bitcoin to you know share the location of your crime boss um i mean wouldn't that be tempting because like no one will know that you got the five bitcoin uh from the government or whatever and yeah I, like as long as you can sort of uh you know, coin join that properly and everything else. No, no one will ever, ever know. And yeah, it, like it, it, you know, it's going to make a lot of snitches out of people that wouldn't otherwise snitch because uh, usually it was sort of like this thing where, you know, you have to clandestinely inform somebody and they would know who you are and everything. But if it's a tip that you just get paid for, and you can do it kind of anonymously and get paid for it. It's probably going to be a boon for law enforcement. Ethereum 2.0 is delayed again. Uh, Vitalik claims that this is due to people issues. I suspect, uh, you know, he means miners or something like that, but I have no idea. Um, yeah, I mean, like delays in Ethereum just happen all the time and they've been wanting to go to proof of stake for like six years. So um, yeah, not a surprise there. And yeah, they, they're saying right now, late 2022, something like that. Um, expect that to be like 2024 or something. Another week, another decentralized altcoin is shown to be completely centralized. Uh, yeah, the, this one is called Haven, and I believe it's built on Monero. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this happens all the time. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm sick of kind of talking about that. Um, Events. I will be at the Bitcoin Standard Conference on August 12th to 14th in Ensenada, Mexico. Uh, BitBlock Boom in Dallas on August 26th to 29th. And Token 2049 in London, England, October 8th and 9th. Uh, the Programming Blockchain Seminar is in Ensenada, Mexico on August 10th and 11th. 
It's a two-day seminar for programmers to learn about Bitcoin. You can apply, and I have some scholarships available for those that can't afford it. Um, on this week, uh, Bitcoin fixes this. I talked to Lauren Siekman about the fiat mentality, um, how it changes with Bitcoin and getting involved in the Bitcoin community. I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find, and I was on Tone Show to talk about various altcoin hacks, CBDCs, and much more. I uh, also talked about the moral case for Bitcoin with Real Vision and, of course, the new book. Uh, thank God for Bitcoin. My other books are The Little Bitcoin Book and Programming Bitcoin. Unchained Capital is the sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig collaborative custody or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at Unchained.com. All right, that's about it for today. Fiat Delenda Est. This song is the